of the TKW Podcast. I am your host, Anthony Corbo, and as always joining me, I've got the illustrious Kyle Maggio. Do you want to say hello, Kyle? Yeah, did, can you guys not hear me? I hear you. Nope. Oh, I didn't hear that. Uh, well, all right, well <laughs> the illustrious Kyle Maggio fools me again, but we still have the grand Brian Giverman with us as well. Can you hear me? What's up? Hi. Okay, good. Now that we're all good, I don't know what's going on. This could be a very fun podcast today, but uh, we're coming off the heels of another Knicks loss to the Denver Nuggets. They were taken. It was a close game throughout most of the uh, most of the game, but they got taken down at the end. I'm trying to get the. I'm stalling because I'm trying to get the final score up here. One fifteen, one oh eight. Thank you, Brian. Uh, the Knicks. Knicks led through halftime. They played a, a pretty tight game through three quarters. And, you know, for what it's worth, I thought there was a lot of positives that we could take away from that game. Yeah, aside from them letting Jokic run rampant, um, Cantor was actually very effective off of the bench. So that was nice. He was eating up the second units a little bit. Um, Frankie had a really nice game. Ten points, five assists, uh, four of six shooting, two of those being threes. Just he looked good out there. I mean, defensively, he actually looked like himself too, which is what I enjoyed. Um, the offense is always nice, as I've said. If he just scores ten points a game the entire season, I'd be thrilled because that's actually a pretty significant leap in doubling his scoring output. So seeing just the ten point benchmark to go with the five assists was, uh, was pretty nice. Um, Moutier was kind of gunning. Uh, Timmy played well, and and Cornette played just. You know, he just, Cornish is doing what he's going to do. Just the spacing that he brings Why, out The there. widest I mean, of open from threes. the very start of the game. Oh, it's incredible. Like, he just goes to the corner. Like, you know, hard, I, there was that drive very early in the game where Hardaway got it in the corner. And, and any other time, either Cantor's clogging up that lane there or Hardaway's trying to take a wildly contested, you know, layup. And then now you got Cornette open in the corner that you can just swing it to, and he hits the open three. It's, it's a beautiful thing what spacing can do for this team. All right, here, here's a question for you guys. If this game isn't in Denver, do we think Moutier plays as much? Maybe just a smidge less. And I'm sure he had a very green light, you know, given the revenge game situation. Is Frank played better than him. I mean, Moutier had 33 yeah. usage in that game and a 35 effective field goal percentage. 33 feels low, but it, I, I get it. That's so – you can't win. And I know we had the nine assists. I thought he played a really selfish game. I didn't like I didn't like how he played. Yeah. I wouldn't say – I want to disagree on selfish. I thought it was, like, more selfish than we've seen, but it wasn't quite selfish-selfish yet. Like, that's how I felt. Like, he, he was for sure gutting. Like, there's no denying that. But I didn't feel it was, like, excessively selfish, out, you know, based on what we've seen from him being in attack mode the better part of the last month. His vision was just a little narrow. I mean, and the thing is, he's supposed to be the guy who's the best, you know, ball mover, the best passer on this team. But, you know, there was plenty of times where he was missing guys open on the wing or open guy, you know, guys open from three. 
and uh, and just kind of either driving or taking the shot or just looking for a pass that wasn't there. And uh, yeah, I think that's a big, that was the biggest issue with him. He just kind of had a bit of tunnel vision in the game, but you know he was back home, he was gone, and I, I kind of expected it from him. That post up in the last two minutes might have been the worst possession of the game. Yeah, that that was that was not, he was he fished a little bit. Was that the one where he thought he got fouled? Yeah, he tried to do like a rip through to go up with it, and they stripped it, and then he thought he got fouled and was arguing. Um, yeah, that one, that one you could clearly see. Like it was like he had his moments. You know, I, I think he was trying to be selfish, maybe not just in just scoring, but in having to try to do it all. I think he wanted to showcase everything and do everything, um, and that's how it felt. It looked like he was trying to impress out there, and um, it, it killed him a little bit down the stretch. It did, and Frankie was having a really nice game. Very quietly, too. Normally, like, when Frank does anything good or starts to put together a nice game, everyone freaks out. Nobody really freaked out up until the end, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, this was a pretty nice Frank game. But that's all That's all you really need from Frank. That's all we're really asking for from Frank is, like, you know, hit three or four shots a game. We'd like you to try to attempt some open threes when you got it. He was, you know, getting to the rack really, really strongly, it looked like, and creatively, too. Um, and, and, you know, his passing looked pretty good, too, like, an overall good game for him, and that's pretty. I think, generally speaking, when it comes to Knicks fans, like nobody's asking for this guy to, you know, go out there and turn into Damian Lillard or something like that. They, you know, we just want a confident player who's going to hit a couple of shots a game, who looks like he's improving, and not just having freak games that he scored sixteen points in. I like this better than the big scoring games. I liked how he balanced the passing yeah. and the shooting. The defense was better. He had the, the one play that really stuck out was when he picked Monty Morris. Mm-hmm. But just in, in general, I thought the defense looked a little bit stronger. Uh, something I talked about when he was picking up full court, he was actually trying to beat the guys to the spot mm-hmm. rather than slide with them. Uh, the couple, Maybe the couple days off was good for him. Maybe he just needed to reset a little bit. They were making quick decisions as a whole out there. Like I haven't, I haven't looked up the numbers for the pace of this game or anything like that, but you know it was definitely pretty fast paced, and they looked to be enjoying that there was a lot of transition play and there was a lot of, you know, guys would get the ball and they would either pass or shoot pretty much right away. There wasn't a lot of ball stopping in this well, game. Well, that's what the strength of this team should be. Like that's what Fizdale talked about doing was running and running and running. And a lot of these guys, the guys in this team, that's what they're good at is running and playing free. Like Frank's better in an up and down game than he is in a half court you know, bogged down kind of a game. So a lot of the better games that he's had have been in a, a faster tempo game, a more upbeat game. So that makes a lot of sense why, you know, he felt a little bit more comfortable there. We, we've always known that Timmy, you know, Tim Hardaway plays better in transition. That's his bread and butter. So if you can get him going, and he had a pretty efficient night. He had 16 points on, I think it was 12 or 13 shots. So, I mean, he... He had pretty good passing too. That I mean, that was really the benchmark of Tim Hardaway's I, game for me. He, he looked to be confidently yeah. passing and making the right pass. Yeah, he looked like he was making the right play, basically. Yeah, without overshooting for once, which was nice. And um, but but a lot of these guys too. Knox, that that's supposed to be what Knox, uh, part of his game too, and and fitting with KP and Fizdale was was getting a, an up and down player. And that's why he was so good in the summer league. And how he's been this last month is because he's been out and running. So I mean, the up tempo stuff is what we should see from them. Um, on a nightly basis, and I think that's one thing that some of us get disappointed with. I know I do. Was I don't I don't have a lot of expectations for this year. I don't expect them to win a lot of games. I just want to see the guys develop, and I want to see some sort of a system in place, no matter what the talent is. And when they get up and down like this a little bit more, is when I start to feel good about 
that. So hopefully we start to see like some sort of a system or a style of play anyway consistently used from here on out because the first 20 or so games was kind of a a mess with what kind of style we'd see. It was just a crapshoot. They were just trying to see what was going to work, you know. And like I it's just see, seeing any kind of like this game just looked to be a good benchmark of like where our players could be progressing together. There was that play you were just talking about where Frank got the steal coming up the court. And like he wait, he looked, waited patiently for Knox, who was gunning in for you know in transition, knowing that he could get to the rim before anybody else. You know, Frank tossed it up to him, and he and uh, you know he got it. I I don't remember for Noop or not, but you know he got it plus the foul, and that was just a really really nice sign of things that could be coming. Those two building a connection together, just keep giving solid games. They don't need to be over the top each time someone has a good performance, but. This core kind of looked to be in sync last game. Two things off of what you guys said. The quick decision-making. Knox in the half court, he had three, I would want to say three drives to the basket where he kind of saw they move the ball well and he doesn't even hesitate. He just catches and goes. One of them, he even did that play. Like in the NFL, you know how like a wide receiver runs into a pass to catch it and that's good. He kind of started his run into the pass and attacked the basket right off of that. Basically the opposite of what Trier does, who Alonzo kind of like likes to survey and look at things. Knox is better when he's just going and quick, and that can really fit well in the flow of an offense. And I'd like to see them get him, get him on the move a little bit more. Some of the, I think they've been doing it a little bit more, incorporating some of the off-ball stuff that he did well at Kentucky running off screens, but I think you can get him on the move very much like early in KP's career. When you got KP on the move, good things happen. I think when you get Knox on the move, good things will happen. Yeah, it's that downhill action is when they're most successful with him. Like they And they do it in the same spot. It's high post at worst, but normally it's, it's a high pick and roll, and they really try to get him running, like really try to get him going, whether he has the ball or not, because then it kind of helps – I guess, mitigate some of the decision-making that he might have to do. But he really has just been getting it, and when he attacks, he takes like two steps in, and then he's good to go. And if not, we've seen him kind of get it, and then take that half a second to make a decision. Like when he gets around the screen, like he'll pick up the ball now and realize, okay, I don't have it. Let me pull it back out. Or, okay, you know, the defender overplayed the drive. I'm just going to, you know, really slowly come around the screen now and pull up into a jump shot. So, you know, whereas in the beginning of the season when they gave him that same kind of action, he was going 100 miles an hour right at the rim. He was jumping really early, and then he would uh, kind of fumble the ball a little bit. He kept adjusting a lot going, you know, because he can't go left, obviously. So, um, it's it's nice. I, I like seeing action run for our guys we're developing because last year one point of contention with a uh, Hornacek and KP was there was there was no action for KP run almost ever. A lot of it was just we're going to dump the ball in, um, you know, top of the key to KP or you know on the block to KP and let him go to work. And not that he doesn't have certain physical advantages, but that's a lot of what we saw with the mellow offenses. And it's like. We should see action. Like you should want to optimize your guys a little bit more, especially when something that you know that was something KP was successful with his first couple of years. So seeing this this early with this much emphasis on it for Knox is encouraging, and I enjoy that very much. And the other aspect that I wanted to hit on was the ball movement. I think one I, I want to try and get some numbers to back this up, but my guess is playing Cornette more and Cantor less 
probably helps increase ball and player movement because Cornette's not a ball stopper. Cantor's a ball stopper. And Cornette also spaces the floor while Cantor clogs the lane. I don't think you could pick out two different players that are farther away from each other on the spectrum of how they play. And Cornette just fits way better in a team basketball concept than Cantor. So I could see that helping them with assists, overall amount of passes, body, and that, there's just a lot that can be improved there. On, the, on that note, too, uh, the, th- the other thing that I noticed in this game about uh, Cornette starting over Cantor is that having Cornette run out, you know, be able to play on the wings and be able to play behind the three-point line kind of frees Noah Vonley up to get inside a little bit more and where he's able to facilitate a little bit more passing or, you know, he had a couple of really nice dunks where he just went for in this last game, but he had some great offensive rebounds too. He had some great, you know, just he had a really nice rebounding game in general. Um, and just his, his passing looked really good too again. And just, you know, I feel like Cantor in the middle is going to stop the ball every time he gets there so he can't even get around the court. Having someone like Vonley there and having someone like Cornette now out on the wing who's going to be a threat, it just it just changes how defenses have to respond to your team so dynamic. Well, that's a great point, and that's something why a lot of us, I know Brian's on board with this, but that's why we want to see Vonley come back, you know, if all things don't go well this summer with big-name free agents because that exact thing, except with Porzingis instead of Cornette, I think that that's something that would be just a fantastic fit. It's why I've kind of wanted that. I, I, I don't know how to describe the exact skill set of that player, but like Von Ley, Julius Randle, why we'd want Zion to play that position too. Like those kinds of, I don't know if you call them like bouncy fours, but they're, they could play make a little bit. They could do a lot of different things. And I just think like a Von Ley would be really nice next to KP. I mean, we see elements of that now to, to your points about Cornette and it's like a guy who can go in and bang a little bit and rebound and still give you something on offense and can shoot a little bit like you know it just it, it kind of plays off of what KP's really good at and where his weaknesses are at in my opinion I think it'd be a great fit and I think we're kind of seeing a really parsed down example of that with Cornette now all right so if we look at the two lineups the newest starting lineup and the previous starting lineup the one with Cornette, an 18.1 net rating in 40 minutes, 125 offensive rating, 107 defensive rating. The one with Cantor, negative 16, 101 offensive rating, 117 defensive rating. It's pretty funny. I, it's so hard to even take any of these stats into, into account for anything right now. Like, what are we, 9 and 29 now? Yeah. It's just like... It's just like I, 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 I want to see. I want to see a stretch where they don't play like complete, where they don't get like. I want to see them not on basically this West Coast road trip to assess how the Cornette lineup is looking versus the Cantor lineup. But you know, I, I just just the way that teams have to respond to the Knicks now, like they were just the way that they were in it so so for so long in the Denver game, it just it makes me optimistic. Moving forward. I don't want to go nuts on the lineups and, and the the net ratings for Cantor because while I know that they're not good this season, I also do want to use the context of last year with um, with KP. He was mostly pretty good. And I, I know that's not – I'm not trying to sit here and say that that's all Cantor or a large part Cantor. A lot of it – obviously a large part of it's Porzingis in that pairing. But um, 
they played pretty well off of each other is my point. And at times they looked really good together too. So I don't want to slam him too much when this is already a really talentless, not good roster, but I understand that he's been struggling. Like I just want to, all right, my counter to that. I'm not, I'm not bashing. I'm also not defending. I'm just saying okay. it's here's in the middle. The, here's the counter. I believe out of any two-man pair with Porzingis, he was also the worst one out of any player on the roster. Second was that he had that one good month last year where the Knicks were winning. And it was basically, it wasn't, and that was when like Jack was playing point guard. And there really wasn't anything to do with Cantor. He happened to just be on the court as Porzingis played like Anthony Davis for a month. And then when that stopped happening, those lineups with Cantor and KP stopped playing as well. And then it all collapsed once KP got hurt. Okay. Is Eric Jack playing anywhere right he now? He was in New Orleans. Um, I, think, I think he got – I feel like he's not there anymore, but he was in New Orleans. Dude, Jeff Hornacek started that dude for 50 Can we fire him again, man? <laughs> it's unreal. I like, I cringed a little just hearing his name the first time you said it. You know what uh, still really bothers me about when I, like, he was doing the right thing for, like, half the season, in my opinion, like, with, with Frank anyway. Like, I had other gripes about especially the the way he was using KP, despite KP being super effective. Um he was starting the games out almost exclusively with Jack and then would finish the games like eight out of 10 games would be finishing with Frank. And I thought that was exactly right. And I, and I felt like that was the formula that we should always hope to see. And then for like whatever reason in January, he just went away from it. And then I was like, okay, maybe he's trying to win the old cliche. You got to play your veterans or whatever. But then KP went down, and I was like, okay, we all know you aren't like you aren't winning. And then he just like stuck with the vets more, and Frank's uh, minutes disappeared more. And I was like, what are we doing for mo- like for a decent chunk of the year? You had it correct. Like you, it, Frank didn't have to start; he just had to finish. And you had that much correct. He's playing good amount of minutes, and then like January and beyond, it just disappeared. I'm surprised it's taken this long since I've joined the podcast to get us to bash Jeff Hornacek. And you loathe that guy. Yeah, <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> but um, yeah, but because I, I, I think for a decent part of the year too, up maybe up until around the same point, he had them playing like an exactly average team, like on both ends of, of the floor. They were they were ranked like there was a stretch of like a month where they were ranked no higher than like 14th in either of the two, and no worse than like 17th or 18th in either of the two. So I remember that much, and I was like, wow, he's. Despite my complaints, they are a perfectly average team. That is odd. Like, it felt odd by the statistics to, to point that up. But um, after that, again, I think there was a certain point when that and everything else just went way off track. But We'll always have the super team, though. <laughs> the super team. <laughs> Um, all right, what else do we want to look at today? Is there anything else from the uh, Nuggets game you guys wanted to touch on before we move on? No. Well, I guess the uh, really the only other big piece of news to discuss from this past week is uh, some talk about Kristaps Porzingis not necessarily being a lock 
uh, to come back to the Knicks after the season. KP's a restricted free agent at the end of the year, uh, so the Knicks could obviously match any offer for him, but uh, there's supposedly some rumors out there about him that not that potentially not necessarily being a given. I I thought it was kind of strange. Um, somebody, I think it was Bob Silverman, pointed it out on Twitter. I was, I'm literally pulling up his tweets right now to read them. That's he, what he, he was just like, and first of all, they were all good points. I'm not going to sit here and do the Bondi bashing that, um, that might happen on this pod anyway, but... <laughs> But um, my my point was, like, I, I feel like that's fine for you to report. But, like, Bob had the one line that got me. Like, at least have some new evidence. Like, at least have some new material or something new to report. It just it just was like a – it felt like a think piece on months old news. That was my only thing where it's like, well, yeah, like, like we knew that. Like, uh, Porzingis' camp made those remarks in the summertime that it's not a guarantee for them, him to re-sign with the Knicks. Like – we, it feels exactly as dire as when that first happened because nothing else has happened. So that was my only thing. I was like, it felt, it felt exactly just like he, he was sitting there thinking about the situation. Like, and he's like, oh, I'm going to write an article about my thoughts and threw it together. Because I think the only line in there that was new was like, word is, you know, Porzingis loves New York, but uh, he's still not thrilled with the Knicks. And, and then my, my last point before I'm going to go to Brian here was, well, well duh. It doesn't sound like it's dire. It just sounds like before you commit to somebody, you want them to get their shit together. Like it just, that's all it seems like to me. You know, I don't think it's any coincidence since those comments happened that they've been pushing this culture narrative and, and look like, oh, look at us finally uh, going all in on the rebuild. Like everybody wanted us to look at us doing things the right way and hiring, you know, the right people. And all of a sudden it's like they want to rush to clean up their act a little bit and save face. And um, I just think that's fine. It just feels like he's ke- he's been keeping them in line. Like, look, I'm gonna I want to be here. You want me here, but I'm not gonna put up with your same old shit. That's all. That this has always felt like to me. I think he resigns. But Brian, please give me your your uh, gripes and and your feelings on this. All right. So first, just go to, as Kyle said. It's too long for me to read, but add Bob Sieta, B O B S I E T T A, and he kind of Joe Morgan's the article. And it's just the basic gist of it is there was, he wrote a story and there was nothing to report. Like it, it's an old quote. He had a thing speculating that the Nets might try and sign him, which if the Nets try and sign him, that's great for the Knicks because the Knicks pay him less money then. So the restricted free agency route isn't really a thing unless you're worried about him doing like a two-year with an option or something like that so we can get to free agency sooner. I would really love to get the, like, Nets fans' hopes up way high that they're going to sign Porzingis and then just snatch him right out of their hands. But there's just... He... I'm trying to come up with a way to do this. It's just garbage. He's not going... There there it is. (laughs) Yeah, let your true feelings shine. <laughs> I like how he's trying to put a care. You see, like, you can hear the, the wheels turning in his head about how to phrase it nicely, and then it, it just snaps and breaks. Garbage. It's garbage. <laughs> he's, he's, he's re-signing with the Knicks. He's a dude with a frail frame who's coming off an ACL injury. And if he doesn't re-sign for five years, max money, if the Knicks offer that, He's getting really bad advice, and he should shoot his brother to another planet. And by his own admission, he wants to be 
careful about it. I remember um, at Media Day, all the big guys, everybody was peppering him about a timeline when he's going to come back. And I remember him saying, and uh, there was a little, I wouldn't say like a hit camp, but people came out to try to debunk him immediately. And he was like, hey, guys, like, I have a really awkward, lanky frame, like a really unique frame, which is objectively true. It, it is a, It's factual. It affects the way he moves in the first place um, with all the different mechanisms of basketball. But he's like, I want to just be really careful with this. I don't want to put a timetable on it or rush back or try to do too much um, too soon. He's like, so I'm going to really take my time getting back and making sure I'm good for next season. That's it. And I thought that was a a perfectly fine answer. And then they kept asking him about it and asking him about it. So I, for a guy who seemed that concerned about, you know, getting the best treatment and taking his time and, and understanding and being self-aware that despite the doctors trying to debunk it or successfully having debunked it, um, he was just like, look, I understand why, you know, the optics of it. And I want to be careful. And I know that I want to be with this franchise healthy for a long time. And it just seems like he's, well aware of of the risks of the ACL and re-injuring it. So I can't see that kind of a guy then turning around and being like, ah, fuck it. I'll take my chances elsewhere. You know, it it would just seem to go against the approach that he's taken to things. And then even the way he's talking about resigning with the Knicks has been the same way. Just very serious. Like, okay, but we got to be about winning. We got to be about what's best for everybody. To me, it would just be like you said, just really bad advice going against his own self-interest to not, sign here like i think they'd have to really really botch it it'd have to be like a phil jackson scenario again for him to want to leave like if if dolan starts acting up again somehow which in the phil jackson era that wasn't a thing outside of the charles barkley uh sorry charles oakley incident but um you know i i can't see unless the knicks start really classic knicks fucking up again in the next year or so i can't see him not Resigning, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Anthony, I'll be quick here, but I came up with the way to. I wanted to explain it. He remember Please. he was with Isola at the Daily News, and this is this is the Isola plan to a T. You take something that was from a long time ago, you recycle it, and you just write the same thing again. And that's basically what this was. It was just recycling an old story that you know will get a lot of clicks, and just. You keep doing it. That's what Isola's formula has been for 15 years. And Bondi worked with Isola, and I'm sure they have talked and done stuff. And he kind of sees how to get clicks because Isola gets attention, and a story like that gets attention. And I think that's what we're looking at here. You never find, you would never find recycled content like that at the nixwall.com. Oh, speak for yourself. I will recycle Enos. (laughs) Terrible <laughs> takes over and over and over again. Got to get these clicks, baby. <laughs> I didn't say anything about the podcast, but you know, um, you know what? I, the one thing I did get from the Bondi piece: the Knicks are five and or was it fifteen and fifty-one since uh, Porzingis went down? Yeah, fifteen and fifty-one. It's been miserable. I, I... That's a crazy record. Fifteen and 51. you know why it's miserable? Because even though. There was things last season that bothered us. Like there was Jeff Hornacek stuff that bothered us, or you know, a lot of people complained about Tim Hardaway Jr. Like we obviously had our complaints, right? But like we expected them to win games. You know, like it was a fun time. Like seeing KP come into his own as a number one option. We were in the playoff mix pretty much the entire time until he went down. Like they started to fade a little bit, but they were still there. 
It's like, just, I missed that. I thought we had finally turned the corner a little bit. Just, I was really... Us? The Knicks? We we had KP playing well as the number one option. It just, it felt right. Everything started to feel right a little bit. And then, yeah, just that, like that, this has the bleakness of the 2014-15 season. Like, how gross it felt. It ain't that. Well, how gro- how gross close, it felt in the present moment bad. to just keep losing and losing and losing and losing. Like it is. Ho- I had to watch Jason fucking Smith for eighty. And Shane games. Tiny Hands Larkin. Bad. It was a weird year, but fucking Quincy. Eight, but, but no, just like having, just knowing like every game, like okay, they're gonna lose, but what are we looking for? Like I, I miss not having that for once. I miss like all right, well, I fully expect KP to hang forty on Jokic at the Garden, and then KP hangs forty on Jokic at the Garden. Like it's a nice. I did want to say, like, that I did, because obviously Vonley got overmatched in the Nuggets game from uh, from yesterday. And, like, he tried, but, like, Jokic could just shoot it over his head or just hold the ball above his head. He almost looked like he was bullying him. Yes. But, like, can you imagine if KP was in there? That, like, that game would have been so much more interesting, obviously much more interesting. There would have been more stakes involved. But I'm, I'm really dying for a KP and Jokic matchup. I mean, they've taken their turns at each other the last couple of years, no? No, like, I like, know, but, like, I'm talking prime. I'm oh, like, oh, I know. It hasn't I'm agreeing been, with you. Like, yeah. the year one, Jokic shot on KP at the Garden. I think that's when he had his career high, and then, um, or at the time his career high. And then KP went back last year when he came back to the Garden and just beat the shit out of him. He just went off for, like, 40-something points. Uh, torched him most of the first three quarters. Jokic went off a little bit towards the end, but that was a really exciting game. Uh, last year, the Knicks won, and then, um, yeah, I mean, they kind of—they're always going to get lumped together because they're European bigs. So having them perform well against each other, despite uh, Jokic being my arch nemesis, as everybody knows, he make—he he makes himself a good villain, and everybody loves a good villain. So having that—what was our bet last the last episode? Uh, I think around a round of drinks, a Venmo beverage, perhaps. I think you may owe me that. Why? Because didn't you say they'd win the Denver game? Or did you say they'd win the Lakers game? No, no, I said that Jokic wouldn't do more than two. Or you said that, whatever, we'll get, we'll talk. I thought later. that was about we picked the games. I lost mine. I think I had the Jazz game. That went well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure oh, no, I'm, I'm still due for the Lakers game. That's yeah. right. I think I'm... they might beat the Lakers. I liked how they played against Denver, and I'm hoping it's a step in the right direction. Oh, see, I'm opposite now. This is your classic letdown game. They knew they had to put on a good performance for Moutier in Denver, right? And they knew, they doubly knew they had to put on a good performance because no matter how much they might be tanking, no matter how talentless they might be, they aren't getting beaten by 40 or 50 bad. And um, they knew that that couldn't happen again in Denver. So it was that and the Moutier revenge game, and I think they were playing for him a little bit. So now you got that out of your system. You were competitive. You lost the close game. There's there's no revenge factor here. There's no motivating factor here. You're just you're playing against the Lakers. Uh, is LeBron back yet? Yet I don't think so. Right? Yeah. Is he? No, I don't think he is. Yeah. No. All right. I mean, good. if he's if he's sitting, there's a chance. But even still, they're pretty good. They're better than the, the Knicks, obviously. And this is Game Three of a Western Conference road trip here. So I don't. To me, this is all the makings of like we're gonna get slapped by twenty five. And like Lonzo's gonna go off, you know, just like a weird game. I'm still, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm still just gonna stick with my bet. 
I got I got no further commentary beyond that. But the Knicks are. Uh, I think the Knicks could carry some momentum on here. They just looked tired by the time the fourth quarter came around. But I think uh, I'm going to stick with my guns here. I think the Knicks are going to take it. I'm sticking with 0-3. Well, the road trip doesn't end quite there because they still have a game against the Trailblazers on Monday the 7th at 9 p.m., that is. Uh, Or no, 10 p.m. because I'm in Central Time. Uh, And then they play the Warriors on Tuesday. So three more... I know, right? It's impressive. Uh, So we got three more games left on this road trip here uh, before they come back home, but... You know, as soon as they get back, they're playing the Pacers and the 76ers, so this January is going to keep on being rough, but uh, Trailblazers, how do you think the Knicks could fare in that game? Losing that game, too. That's a bad matchup for them on all fronts. The guards, the big is, can post up and do different stuff. Did you see that dude had a 5 5 Yeah, he did. Yeah. With a 20 and 20 5 by 5 That's He's, he was the fir- first player in history to have a five by five, right? No, no, no. A twenty. It was a twenty. I saw the same. It was a twenty by twenty by five by five by five. He was the first. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. okay. That but is just nuts. I, real quick sidebar. I don't think that guy ever gets his due because he's like the the slow, like plotting big, and. He's forever the guy that lost out to Jokic. Yeah, and, and I feel like people have that bad taste in their mouth, not realizing uh, that Portland's a, a pretty damn good team, and he's a pretty damn good center. Like, I feel like he's one of those guys that we uh, we don't allow to be in the gray area entirely. Like, it's either like you're a really good big or you're trash, and I just feel like he gets left off. Do you, do you know what I think happened with him a little bit? Is that Zach Collins early in the season looked really good, and that overshadowed him early. And then everyone just kind of forgot about him. But ever since then, he's been Portland's best center. He's a good player, man. He he is. I, I actually enjoy watching him, as strange as that sounds. I like watching that Portland team. I understand that they're, like, they're locked into the playoffs for like the next couple of years now, in my opinion, having uh, Nurkic and, and 3J locked up. But I don't think there's well, – I don't think the ceiling's just open. Because... I just think they're – I don't know. Just, just because there's not a ton of uh, Knicks to dive into today, what do you guys think that they should do with CJ McCollum? I don't know. I think you keep him. I, th- I think if you, if you're going to be able to, I don't know if this sounds like lazy analysis, but I feel like sometimes like you should strive to just be a really good playoff team because injuries do happen and things do happen, and you know you you got to be in some kind of a position to take advantage if luck bounces your way and. I think that those two guys are two of the best scoring guards in the league and in the league that you need scoring from those positions, especially from outside. I think that you just got to hold on to them. I, I don't know. Like, I don't like the whole trade them and, and try to not blow things up, but kind of head in a new direction thing and see if you can get over the top. I, I like what they have going on there, despite them not being like a true, true contender. I would like, I'd like to, if they, it depends what you can move them for. If you could get a wing that a bigger guard that can defend a little better and put him next to Dame and you think that sort of what the 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 kind of the theory behind the Raptors Kawhi trade and how they moved DeRozan for someone that was clearly better if you could do that with CJ you CJ and then add some pieces on and it would make such an obvious jump in the roster, then I think you can move them. Otherwise, 
you kind of hope for some internal development from their guys and see if at some point, I don't know what their cap situation is, but maybe you can add someone through free agency because Dame, Dame and CJ do make it, make it attractive. So I don't think I don't really have a hard and set feeling on that. It's just kind of what could you get for him and would it make sense? I think they're actually kind of close to the tax. Oh yeah. They have a couple got, outrageous they, contracts. They got Evan Turner. Yeah. The yeah. Myers Leonard and uh, uh, yeah. Maurice Harkless and when those, but those got to be coming up off the books in the next year or two, I would think. It's interesting too, because obviously, uh, they are without an owner right now, or you know, Paul Allen passed away. So it's the direction of the team could be changing in a couple of years as well. But um, yeah, they they have. I feel like they should try to get a couple of these contracts out of there pretty soon, or take on you know the little bit they can take on because it's just they just do not have a lot of flexibility moving forward. I but yeah, I I, don't, I can't really think of anyone directly. I would I think you should ship out CJ McCollum for. You know, directly, or who would be available? God, they have a lot of centers, man. They do. They do. Like Jimmy, Jimmy Butler, or Paul George. Like those guys aren't going to be traded, but that's the guy I'd be willing to trade CJ for, and I think it would really upgrade the Portland roster. Those, those are the two guys that come to my head first. Okay, they got Caleb Swanigan. Who's he playing? Yeah, I don't think he plays. He doesn't all, play regularly. All of these like 2017 like draft picks are forever in my head from one of the uh, draft series that we did uh, a couple of years ago. So I'm just like constantly picking these guys out of the blue. I'm just like, oh, I wonder where he's playing or anything. Uh, oh yeah, they got Nick Stauskas too. Stauskas Castillo. That that. That dude is not hit anything. Don't you dare make fun of Nick Stauskas on this podcast. What do you? What is your? Uh, all right, t- tell me. I'm a Michigan fan. Oh. Oh, so you you no doubt love Trey Burke then. I did when he was at Michigan. I'm not someone who like carried <laughs> much to the NBA. That's not my. I just you you did what you had to, and now you're not. Um, I don't root for you anymore unless you're on. You have. N- you have no idea how heavy my roommates are Michigan State stands. I don't know if that I don't know if the rivalry makes a big difference to you, but I live with potentially the biggest Michigan State fans out. Oh, there. Michigan must make him has made him cry for a good amount of years. Then we oh, we yeah. own their asses. John Beeline makes Tom Izzo his bitch. It's great. No, you got to see like just the amount of Spartans bullshit I got in this apartment right now. It's it's outrageous. Yeah. 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 Anyway, we got anything else we got to get into tonight? Plug her away, Kyle. All right. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at the Knicks Wall. Also on Instagram at Knicks Wall. Um, make sure you follow or like us on Facebook. I, I think you can do both those things now. I don't really understand Facebook. Leave me alone. It's a strange. It's place, a strange though. place. Um, I'm but, pretty close to deleting mine. I. Real, real quick away from the plugs. That's what I did. I deleted mine like five or six years ago. I only reactivated it for this website. So, Okay, back to the plugs. So <laughs> make sure you subscribe uh, to our YouTube and our Twitch channels. 
Uh, YouTube is just youtube.com slash the next wall. And we have our film breakdowns there. All the pods go there. Some of you guys listen to us on there already. Uh, so thank you for that. But, um, you know, we have our Twitch. Thank you for the lovely comments as well. Uh, you guys are always angry and keep us on our toes. So, so thank you for that. Um, you know, even when we have the exact same, you know, we have two different stances on the same topics and then you guys either call us, uh, uh, home homers, or we hate a certain player. Uh, there are a lot of comments that I do genuinely. There, 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 there are some vociferous responses. There are some. I peruse them from time to time, and they are, you know, that everybody's always correct is to never read the comments, but I, I always do. I always do. Oh, I always do. do. I'm there every day. Wait, Shout out to all of our commenters. I've though. never read any of these. All right. Well, this is we we have a little bit of time to kill here, so I'm just gonna mid plug. I'm gonna go ahead and pull it up. Oh yeah, you want to get into it? Yeah, because of we appreciate we, all we of appreciate you. all of you, but I just want to. I'm not going to name names. I just want to. But we appreciate. I just want to go through and read some of the different ones that we get. Uh, I'm going to just go to our latest episode here, where we had 23 comments. But uh, let me see if I can find a good one here. Is this on iTunes? Um, nope, this is a, this is just on YouTube. But I, I, some of the so, iTunes ones. So remember how we said that Frank had been slipping a little bit defensively? Yes. Okay. And I, I think on it, I tried to put the context of he was actually fine on, on both ends, I thought. But especially defensively, up until he got pulled out of the starting lineup the full st- uh, first time. And since then, he hasn't really been himself. So... Someone goes, Frank has one bad defensive game, and now you think he can't play D? What the fuck? It was a bad loss, but it was one loss. Kid needs more than uh, 16 minutes in between DNPs, please. And then there was another thing about uh, Timmy. But then he sent another comment and said, by the way, I'm hard on you guys sometimes. But it's because I've, that I uh, believe that not only are you guys a great podcast, but you have a future doing this. Keep up the good work. Highs and lows right there. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to shout out his name, too. Because it's a it great is. name. Fantastic. Uh, shout out Raw Hebrew Remnant. It is. I, I like I like reading those comments. It gives me a rush because then I immediately I immediately <laughs> want to get angry and go. All right, we're gonna. I'm gonna. I haven't done it yet, but I've, I always go. I'm gonna debate in the YouTube comments. I'm gonna do it one of these days. I'm gonna snap. Someone's gonna trigger me, and I'm gonna hop in and just argue. And then I saw the second comment, and I was like, "Today's not the day." That's a good guy right there. But if that is your goal, now you know how to do it. Yeah. So, so one of you guys get me inevitably. Take- away from you before we allow you to comment on YouTube. <laughs> Please do. Um, that's about it. We pro- I think we have uh, some merchandise sales coming up later in the month. But, um, you know, just give us a five-star review on the podcast. You guys seem to be doing that every time we ask. So please keep doing that. Leave us a nice review or comment. Um, you know, helps us keep doing this for you guys because uh, you're the reason we do it. So that's about it. If you guys have anything else. Nothing. Nah, man. Oh, new Twitter uh, handle for me. Go follow at Corbo Anthony. Did, did you lose out to the original yeah. Anthony Corbo? I lost out to both the original Anthony Corbo and at Corbo. The original Anthony Corbo at Anthony Corbo. Plug him too. Uh, he has some kind of uh, automobile as his profile picture, and uh, has tweeted a couple of times like less than 20 but the one that really pisses me off is like from 27 like summer 2017 where he responds 
back on Twitter, who's following along for the ride? And then tweeted, like, three times within, like, four months and then hasn't tweeted in, you know, since, like, mid last year. So that's how it's going for that handle. And then at Cormo is some Italian parody account of something I don't understand. Yeah. So things that, things I, I feel right. your pain. I tried to get at Baggio, and it was a guy who made his account in 2007. His first tweet was signing up, and then never, and then, <laughs> never, <laughs> and then he never tweeted again. That was it. And uh, I reached out to Twitter support for 11 years to try to, <laughs> to try to get that username, and every time they told me to suck it. So I, I feel you. I'm just not ready for no, that. So I'm just that Kyle Baggio. So uh, follow me is is the moral here. You should probably follow Brian Gabriel. should not. Yeah. I'm terrible. He is, in fact, terrible. But at least you don't have to listen to his Baker takes anymore because they shot Baker to the moon. Hey! That was well, uncalled for! I had to get in it at the end. I left you alone in the Baker departure podcast. I was giving you time to grieve. <laughs> He's back on the team. He got signed quick. He, he did. He did get signed quick. He Good did. For him. And then he had an emphatic block and zero points in like 20 minutes of play. <laughs> so classic Ron Baker. And I think that's the first time I've really raised my voice on the podcast. <laughs> it was. There was disbelief and shock in your voice. It's like the first time you hear a dog bark. You know what? Did you guys even hear them today? No, right? No, the podcast is not complete. Yeah. Yeah. That's because I killed them. They're dead. <laughs> that's what they did. <laughs> wow. It was, it was a joke. It was a joke. I would never do that. Shouts to Mason. Okay, Miller. Michael Vick. And Jesus with that. Christ. We're in uncharted waters now. <laughs> and with that, we, we will see you guys on Sunday. Take care, y'all. Take care, Paul.